Well, good morning. I'm glad that you decided to join us today. Uh, we're going to recap our Hope Beyond series. We've been over, in, uh, over the last several weeks in First Peter. And uh, as Pastor Ryan said just a few minutes ago, um, I'm looking around and we're in a much different scenery. Um, it's a new season, right? It's a new season for us to, to celebrate in. And, um, this is where we're going to be um, for the next several weeks here at Midway Baptist Church. And so um, I want you to uh, just lean in with me this morning, feel comfortable, hope you feel at home, and uh, we'll see you here live and in person in two weeks. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of First Peter. First Peter chapter 5, um, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and, like I said, finish up the book of First Peter this morning. And um, I'm going to read to you from First Peter starting in verse uh, 6. So I'm going to read there. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of, of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, we've learned about Peter in this letter that he's written to the church in exile. We've learned about their state. And this church that we're, li we're listening about and we're reading about, this church, they were living under persecution. They were living under suffering, many of them. If you can imagine, as, uh, as the Jewish leaders, they came in, the same people who... Uh, persecuted and killed Jesus, the same ones who did that. They were after the early church. They wanted to have them killed, thrown in jail, do the worst thing that you could possibly imagine to the early church. And so the early church, uh, again, if you can imagine, they had to grab all of their belongings as fast as they could. They had to leave town, and they're living here in, in places that they would not call home, laying their heads in places that a place where they're strangers at. If you can just imagine with me for just a second, they're learning how to live far away from home. And so in this letter that First Peter has written to the church at exile, in exile, he's said many different things to them. Like he said to them, listen, you have to suffer well. He says, I know that you're suffering, but suffering is, is for your good, that it makes you stronger, that it produces in you a genuine faith. He also says that as the church, although they're exiled, that they have to live unified, right? He says that we're still the body of Christ. Be unified in this, a, 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 royal, uh, a royal nation, a priesthood of believers. Then he goes on to tell them that they need to live as good citizens, setting the example for the rest of the world. He says set the example for, for, for living under governors and under rulers and under kings, be good citizens. And then he also says, live under the authority that we should live in submission to our local leaders and that our marriages should, should also symbolize this submission that we have to our local authorities, loving our wives well, loving our husbands well. And then today, what we just read is that Peter, Peter wraps up this letter to the church that's in exile 
his last remarks, his last words that he says to them are pretty, are pretty um, grave or, or a grave warning, if you will, that he gives to the church that's in exile. Did you catch it? He says to the church that's in exile, the church that's suffering, he says to this, this church, this broken people that are living in suffering, he says, remember that we have a great enemy who's out there and this enemy, he hates you. He hates everything about you. And he is seeking to destroy you while you're out in exile. That's what he tells them. He's basically telling them to, to be on the lookout, to be on guard. Know that we have an enemy who is ready to destroy you at any second. Now, we don't really talk about this enemy that we have, this enemy Satan. We, we don't talk about Satan a whole lot in the church. And so it, it kind of begs the question, what do we know about our enemy, Satan? What do we know about this roaring lion who is seeking to devour not just the early church, but who seeks to devour you and who seeks to devour me? What do we know about Satan? You see, I believe that we as the church, sometimes in the Christian world, we think about Satan's in uh, two polar opposites, two, two major extremes. Sometimes we, we think about Satan and we Flat out, honestly, we give him too much credit. We think Satan has a hand in every bad thing that's ever happened to us. We think Satan has a hand in everything bad that happens around the world. So that's one extreme. We think that Satan's involved in everything. And then the other extreme is that we, we don't really see Satan in doing anything. That it, We don't give him enough credit in certain situations. We don't, um, we don't think that he's involved in much. So those both extremes, he's involved in everything or he's involved in nothing. Those are sometimes the ways that we think about Satan. So what do we know about our enemy that Peter is mentioning here? Well, one thing we know about Satan is that he can't cause us to sin, right? He can't make you sin. He can't make me sin. In fact, that's why Peter is writing this letter to, to the early church and he's saying to them that although the enemy is out there, guess what? He says that you can resist Satan. You can resist the roaring lion who seeks to devour you. Flip with me just two pages over to the book of James. James chapter 4 verse 7 says this. He says, but he gives grace and more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. James, he backs Peter up with this word here, and he says that if Satan is, is causing us or, or pushing us or driving us and tempting us with certain things, guess what? That we... Uh, we have a choice. We have the ability to resist those temptations. We have the ability to flee from our enemy. So Satan can't cause us to sin. He can't make us sin. The other thing is that, that Satan is not as powerful as Jesus. I hope you've heard that before, and I hope you believe that this morning. That Satan doesn't come anywhere close to the power of our God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, there's a, a belief out there. It's, it's called dualism or, or duality. It's a, it's a heresy. It's something that we don't believe in as Christians. And it simply states this, that, that God is here and he has all this power and that Satan is here and that he has all this power and all of history has just been about the two of them 
at battle and at odds with one another. And, and God wins sometimes, but other times Satan wins. And they're just always going to be like that, at odds with, with one another. Maybe you've heard of the yin and the yang. And um, there's so many different beliefs about what Satan can do. But we as Christians, we don't believe that Satan has anywhere amount the of power that Jesus has and that our Father God has. So those are some of the things that he can't do. But what can he do? What can, what can Satan do? You see, I think that Satan has been very active and very present over the last several months. One of the things that I, Satan, that I believe Satan can cause us to do is I think that Satan can push us to despair. That he can push us to despair. Again, that, that he can't make us give up, that he can't make us do anything really, but he can push us and continue to push us and continue to push us and come back with the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. He can push us to despair and sometimes even to doubt. He can make us want to give up. You see, there's a, <clears throat> there was a time in my life, and this is a story, as a matter of fact, I don't think I've ever shared with, with you as the church. I've, I've shared it with a few friends of mine. But the year was 2017, and Ashley and I, we had bought the house that we live in now, and um, we love that house even today, and I remember that it was this joyful moment whenever we bought it. And it wasn't too long, maybe, um, maybe a couple weeks after we bought the house. Now, mind you, we bought this, this house here in the city of Goose Creek so that we could be on mission and so that we could be close to, to the area where we wanted to minister to. We said, hey, we're going to plant our lives here in the city of Goose Creek, and that's particularly why we moved where we moved, because we wanted to live it out here in the city. Well, we bought it. We had a couple weeks of just straight joy. We moved in. We got unpacked. And like I said, it wasn't long after that that I was standing in the backyard, and I was enjoying the trees, and I was looking around, enjoying the weather, and I was just kind of checking out the house and looking at it. And I kid you not, there was just something that just came over me. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a feeling, um, a very bad feeling. But something came over me and just said to me, you better enjoy this house as long as you can because you're not going to be here for long. You're not going to be able to be on mission here. You're not going to be able to see your dreams come true here. Enjoy it while you can. And I kid you not, there, in that moment, I was, I was pretty despaired. I was very nervous. It made me really question, did God really say to plant this church? Did God really say that I needed to be on mission here? Did God really say that he was going to take care of us? Sounds very similar to the garden whenever Satan tempted Adam and Eve with those same exact words. Did God really say? You see, sometimes Satan can push us to despair. Sometimes he can push us to doubt. Again, he can't cause us to do anything, but he can push us to feel that way. We always have a choice in the matter. The second thing is that Satan can push us to sin. Can't make us sin, but he can push us to sin 
to where we're so tempted, where we have to make that choice. Am I going to follow Jesus in this? Am I going to be obedient in this? Or am I going to give in to sin? You see, Satan has a, a very active role in the way that we find ourselves tempted all the time. He has a very active role in that. Again, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, he was there. He was pushing them towards sin, asking them that question, the same question that you and I are asked all the time. Did God really say? Did God really say? We know that ultimately they're in the garden. Adam and Eve, they sinned, and Satan had devoured them there in that particular moment. So Satan can push us to despair or doubt. Satan can push us to sin, can't cause us to do either of those things. But in this season... Have you found yourself pushed to despair? In this season, have you, have you found yourself pushed to sin, really? I think all of us have found ourselves with idle hands and idle time. What have you filled your time with? Have you gone back to those old habits? Have you gone back to those old addictions? Have you gone back to those old thoughts in the midst of a pandemic? You see, Peter says, first of all, he says, resist him. He says, resist him. He says, stand firm and resist the enemy who seeks to devour your life. I think it's a good question for us to ask. How do we resist Satan? Whenever we feel him pushing us to despair, whenever we feel him pushing us to sin, how do we stand firm? How do we resist our enemy? You see, I think it looks a lot of different ways. I think, a lot, I think for, for all of us, it looks differently. But one thing I know for sure is that one way that we can resist our enemy is by not focusing on him, but focusing on our God and on our Savior. By not focusing on the lies that we hear. By not focusing on the messages that come to our brain. By not focusing on the enemy. By not focusing on the darkness, but by focusing on the light. You see, one way we resist Satan is we, we run to the light. What happens in the darkness has power over us, but what is brought to the light, we find freedom in. And so one of the ways that we resist him is by running to the light. Another way that we resist him, just practically speaking, one of the ways that you can resist the enemy is simply by calling a friend. Calling a friend. Call, maybe call your huddle partner. Call somebody in your community group. Call myself. One way that we resist the enemy is by talking to a counselor. One way we resist the enemy is, is maybe taking medication that we know we need to take. Sometimes we resist the enemy by dropping down to our knees and crying out to the Lord and in prayer. Resisting the enemy looks like turning to the Scriptures. Maybe resisting the enemy looks like in the heat of the moment whenever it's really tense and you're given over to despair, you're about to give over to some type of sin, you find some type of way of escape. Maybe go on a prayer walk, go outside, get around people. You see, there's so many different ways that we can resist the enemy. Are we willing to do it? That's what Peter says right here. He says, resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. He says that it's going on all over the place. You've got brothers and sisters all over the world that are standing strong in the midst of suffering, that are standing firm in the midst of testing. Resist the enemy. And so whenever it comes to resisting our enemy, we have to throw the kitchen sink at him. Look what goes on in 
1 Peter 5.10. He says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He says that after we have felt the pushing from Satan, after we've felt this gnawing at our at our souls for a while. It says that after we've suffered for a little while, that Jesus himself is going to come and rescue you. Now, I find great assurance in that. I find great assurance in that. But notice what it says. Notice what Peter says. He says, after a little while. After you've suffered a little while, he says that you will be rescued. Now, it seems to me like Hey, wait, we could be rescued before it ever happens. We could be rescued and we don't have to suffer at all. That's not what Peter says, is it? He says, after a little while. Now, if we take these things into account, if we take this into account, the fact that God allows us to suffer for a little while, and we also take into account a verse that we've read a lot in Romans 8.38, that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. How in the world can, can we live in a world where, where it says that we're allowed to suffer for a little while and yet God works out all things together for our good? Well, somehow in God's knowledge and in God's wisdom and in God's will and in his ways, it works out that suffering works out for our good. So suffering is a good thing. Maybe right now where you find yourself suffering, hurting. Maybe you have messed up. Maybe you have doubted a little bit. Maybe you have given back over to sin. It says that this is a good thing. And that somehow this works out for our good. Look at the words of what he says there. He says that Jesus himself, after we have suffered for a little while, will himself restore some of us we need restoration right now restoration means that you take something that's old you take something that's broken and you fix it you make it look better you you make it look nicer after we've suffered for a little while jesus himself is going to bring us back or to repair us i love i love that message i love that message that this is what jesus does for us that this is also another way of looking at that is that after someone breaks their bone or after they've had a broken bone, sometimes they, they put a cast over it. And one of the ways to look at that is, is it's being restored. It's being repaired. It's being brought back together. And after that bone has been broken and then restored, guess what? It's stronger. It's strengthened. It's hardened. He says that he will restore you, that he will confirm you, or that he will support you, that he will vindicate you, that he will show you the right way, that he will strengthen you and plant your feet firmly in the ground and remind you of the truth and say to you, listen, you are my child, you are my son, and you have been adopted into this family. He will remind you of his love. He will strengthen you, and he will establish you. You know what it means to establish? Whenever Jesus establishes us, after we've suffered and after we've hurt, it means that Jesus will show us that we're truly his. That he will show us that we're truly followers of his. 
for the rest of our lives. And so let me just ask you, have you given yourself over to despair? Have you given yourself over to sin? Have you fallen into sin head first, fallen into despair head first? Well, the good news this morning is that where you fail, Jesus didn't. If you see yourself as someone who's given over to despair and you've totally rethought this whole Jesus thing, totally rethought this whole church thing, then I want to remind you this morning that Jesus did not despair, that Jesus never doubted, that he walked all the way to the cross, knowing the suffering, knowing the shame, and he did it for you and for me. Have you given yourself over to sin in the midst of this pandemic? Since the last time that we've gathered, where do you find yourself? Have you been praying? Have you been in the word? Have you been worshiping? Have you been with the brothers and sisters here at Creekside in the best ways of community that we possibly can? Where do you find yourself this morning? Where do you find yourself? Again, the good news is that wherever you find yourself, if you've sinned, if you've messed up, if you've come up short, guess what? Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't sin. He never sinned. He never messed up. He never came up short. And the good news is that Jesus became your sin and took your place as your substitution so that you could go free. And my second point is this. Where we fall, Jesus stands ready to pick us back up. If you've messed up, if you've sinned, if you've despaired, whatever it is, Jesus stands ready to pick you back up. Jesus is full of grace, right? You know what grace means? Grace means that you get something that you don't deserve. Whenever Jesus picks us back up, we don't deserve that. But he loves us. He has grace for us. And wherever you find yourself today, Jesus stands ready to pick you back up and to show you his good news, to show you his kindness. Let's pray. Father, as we come this morning, God, our hearts are just overwhelmed with your goodness, your kindness, with your mercy. God, it is true that we have an enemy. God, who stands ready to devour us, roaring and prowling around like a lion. God, we know that we serve something even greater, something that's better than our enemy, something that's stronger, more powerful than our enemy. God, when we have temptation to give in to despair, temptation to give in to any type of sin, God, you always provide a way out for us, God, through the power of your Holy Spirit. And so I pray for our church body. I pray for our family. God, I pray that this has been a time that we as disciples have grown. We know that a true disciple is someone who grows in you, Jesus. And so I pray that we've all grown in you, that we haven't wasted this time. For the person who's given over to despair, who's given over to sin, God, I pray that this morning that they would find themselves forgiven. I pray that they would find themselves strengthened, that they would find themselves confirmed and established all the things that you say you'll do for us. May we find hope and joy 
in the presence of community this morning. We love you, Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Amen.